0: But this morning I'm just going to read a portion and as I was up this morning early and I asked God again what do you have for me and of course and what do you have for each of us but it starts out very personal isn't it? Yes. What do you have for, for each of us individually and God brought me back and he had me turn and I'm going to read from these verses in Isaiah 61. One through uh, four, actually. and Isaiah 61, one through three, this is what it says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives. And the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to point unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the joy, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they will build the old old wastes. They will raise up the former desolations and they will repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. These these verses here, and, and a lot of the scriptures that God has in a sense, just really stuck to me, really, in, in one sense, welded to me. Uh, many of them, they have the faces of people, a lot of them, particular ones. Not all of them, but some of them. Richie and Jeannie Capello were married in 1976 in Southboro, Massachusetts. I happened to be one of the men that was in his wedding. This is what they had on their wedding card the cards that they passed out. And they were passing them out, just as before, and we're going over the whole wedding. And here I am, I believe I'm still 23. Might have just been 24, but right in between 23 and 24 years old, full of everything that you could be at that young age. And uh, he he handed uh, me that. And I looked at it, and immediately, you know, we talked about a rhema, the specific revelation of the Word of God and how powerful it is in, in, in and of itself. <laughs> but then God would take that particular rhema and really just infuse it into your very being. And it was like God was speaking to you very specifically, and that's what he said. He brought this to me, and it was, and it was all by myself. I'm reading it, and I was, it was like God stopped me in my tracks, in my tracks, and he was just speaking to me this, and I I remember, I shared it with someone, it was so overwhelming to me, and they probably thought I was crazy, I didn't at the time, because I just, it just, as a young kid, God was speaking to me, (laughs) this full of everything, all the temptations, all the crazy things that I'm not even aware of, and God's speaking this to me. And I'll never forget it. And to this day, I remember it like it was yesterday. And um, what a time that was. Now, of course, this has to do specifically with Jesus Christ. There is no question about that. And the reason that we can say that, and I say we because God's going to give us the Scriptures And when we see this, this is so incredible. And again, as I just woke up this morning and just, uh, you know, just uh, being weak, you know, being weak uh, at times, uh, you know, uh, pretty much my ongoing weakness is physical. And then at the time, spiritual, you know, just going through things. And I just woke up and staggered into the office. And God so beautifully just, you know, I just thumbing through and he's, stop right here. He tells me specifically out of each Bible that I, and I have a few, to take. And he said, take this one, now turn to here. And just comforted me instantly. You know, going through, you know, just being weak, being frail, um, and all these things. And, and uh, what a picture That is, and we'll see it in Luke, the fourth chapter. Luke, the fourth chapter, in verse 16. This is, we're going to see the fulfillment of that very, especially those first three verses in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. In Luke 4, verse 16, it says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was brought up in Nazareth. Um, if you looked at Jesus in Isaiah 53, verse two, there was no physical beauty at all that you would be attracted to him. He was not a good looking man. There was nothing that you would, that outwardly that would attract you to him. And for 30 years, he worked in obscurity in a carpenter's shop. He was just like the rest, just like the rest. Uh, that's why it says in, in John 1:10, he came into the world and the world knew him not. In other words, they didn't know him any different from anybody else. 30 years of, ex- of obscurity, of obscurity behind the scenes. Do you ever feel like that? Who am I? What's it all about? Uh, you know, what, what, am I, what am I doing? What am I doing here? <laughs> Why am I at this particular job or this particular place? It just seems like I get up every day and it seems like it's the same thing. 30 years, God in humanity. 30 years. And he knew who he was. But 30 years. He was the quiet, humble servant behind the scenes. God preparing him. And he was brought up in Nazareth. Nazareth at the time was the slum area of Israel. He grew up in a slum area the gutters in the streets there, were just flowing with waste. That's where he was brought up and that's why, you know, that guy who came to Jesus at night, because he he was a Pharisee, he didn't want others to see him, but he did come to him. He had to come to him because he needed to know things, he couldn't know in himself as an educated Pharisee. He came to him and we can even see that in John the first chapter and I'll just just read that because after all these are the scriptures and this is where we get the understanding of God's thought for us and I'm so thankful for that and so you know we can see Nathanael in 145 of of John said unto him we we have we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, unto Philip, who was telling him this, this is what he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I'm going to share, I, I believe, on Wednesday, between uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow with the men and then Wednesday night, some beautiful thoughts about that. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, what can God bring out if we look by sight, a slum area? Can anything good come out of that as far as man's concerned? No. He asked him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, come and see. And that's what God is, is saying to us this morning. He's saying, okay. Maybe there's obscurity. Maybe you can't see things uh, the way, and maybe you don't see them the way you desire to, and hope they'll be, and actually believe that they'll be. And uh, maybe you're overwhelmed. We've talked about being overwhelmed, but maybe you need to be comforted. Maybe you don't think anything can good, anything good can can come out of your situation and circumstances right now, and maybe. The thought is to yourself or maybe you said to someone else, I don't know. It's just, it's, it doesn't seem like any good thing can come out of this. And, and Christ would say to us through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, come and see. But you have to come. Come and see. And we know the rest of that. If you read the rest of that, you'll see it. So again here, back to Luke 4, verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. He was born in Bethlehem because that was obviously fulfilling prophecy. We see that in Micah 5 verse two and many other scriptures. But he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, those 30 silent, what seemed to be mundane years. He was brought up and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. Do you remember when Jesus was going to be baptized? He was now entering into his public ministry. His obscurity was 30 years, but what did God do in his three and a half years of public ministry? Bible says, if you read to the end of John the 20th chapter and to the end of the 21st chapter, you can't contain, there's no books in all of eternity that can be contained what God did in and through Christ for those three and a half years of his public manifestation and his service, his public service. But to prepare him for his public service and to be used by God, he had to have, like you and I, 30, in this sense, private years where we get to know him, where we get to rely on him and him alone, because he will bring good out of what we, can, what we look at by sight and don't think. Any good can come out of it. But being that he's the good, he'll bring us out. He who is good at goodness itself, in Exodus 34 and verse 6, will bring us out and establish his goodness. And that's why Romans 8:28, all things work together for God's divine good, to them that in obedience return his love to him. In Romans 8, verse 28. Again. And so. When he had opened the book, he found the place. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me. He anointed him in, in Matthew three, verse 16. You will see at his baptism, when, jo- when John the Baptist had to humble himself <laughs> to baptize God in the humanity of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you talk about humility. And to baptize him. And then you, you heard a voice from heaven that was God the Father saying, this is my beloved son in Matthew 3, verse 17, in whom I'm well pleased. You do very good to hear him, to receive and submit to him, uh, to him. But then you saw the dove, and the dove represented the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. Because the Lord anointed him, and it's the Holy Spirit that is the anointing oil. You'll see that in the types all through Exodus and Leviticus, the type of the Holy Spirit, the anointing, and even in the book of Ezekiel too. You'll see the priests in Ezekiel the 44th chapter, how they had to be anointed. And you see it again in Exodus the 29th chapter also, where the priest had to be anointed with oil to prepare him. It had to be the Holy Spirit who would take the things of Christ and show them unto us as it's clear, as Jesus said in John 16, 13, and 14. And so, he anointed me. You have to be anointed. You have to have the Holy Spirit. To preach the gospel to who? To the poor. Those that are poor in themselves. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Notice that? To preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What's the acceptable year of the Lord? It's Christ himself. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and look what it says. You know, the scriptures, there's not a word in it that doesn't have, it's not full of meaning, and he sat down. Yeah, he did, because he was he was the finished work. He sat down, and look what it says here. The word that was being preached was coming out of his mouth, and look what it says. And the eyes they, of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. I mean, they were so concentrated on him. When the word was being preached, they were so concentrated on him, and that's why, again... In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, here we are in a little house, in a little village of Great Barrington with five people. But God wrote it. I thank God when you heard the word of God, that when you heard it, you didn't receive it as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And it works effectually in you that actually receive it and believe it that way. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, and then in verse 21, he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words that, which proceeded out of his mouth. And you know what they said? It, this doesn't make any sense. Why? Because this is Joseph's son. Who's this guy? Who are you? Who are you? Who am I? but a vessel. Of course, in this way, Christ himself. Now again, i we read Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, and then into verse 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's upon me. Because the Lord God has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Meek. And to the meek. You know who the meek are? Those that when they're all alone with God, and he rehearses himself and their and his life to them, and their circumstances and situations. They don't fight him. They don't argue with him. That's meekness. There's no argument with God. You 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 take everything about him towards you was good. You have no reason to argue, or fight him. No, you're meek. You're very meek. You don't have, you don't have to question him. You don't have to doubt him. And there's no doubt in meekness with the Lord when you're all alone. He has sent me to bind up who? The brokenhearted. To proclaim proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them what? Beauty for ashes. We're going to see what these mean. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness. And they're bearing all kinds of fruit, the fruit of that Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. Trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He, that He might be glorified. Thank God for the cross. We're not glorying in ourselves. We glory in the cross by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world in Galatians 6 verse 14 that he might be glorified because we can see how he built the old waste places, all those areas of waste, those years where the canker worm in Joel 2, 25 to 28, 8, he's going to redeem them. He's going to to buy them back because he's brought us back. That's why in Ephesians 5, verse 16, he redeems the time in our lives right now. He can redeem the time. When we come and see and hear, he can redeem and he will redeem the time. Because the days that we are living in are evil, it says. Evil, poneros, not kakos, intrinsic evil. I mean the evil that we would even see years ago that would be in the closets now outright. It's no longer kakos evil against authority, against Christ, truly. It's not that, against those that are of authority, meant for our very protection, as we can see in our country. It's no longer kakos evil, it's poneros. It's evil in active opposition to God's divine good. Just evil, spiritual, not a political thing. Manifesting itself through that, but it is truly evil. But thank God we're in Christ. And so when we look at this, and when God began to teach me those verses as he made them real about Christ in me, he brought me back to Isaiah, the 14th chapter. Isaiah, the 14th chapter. And look at Isaiah 14, verse 9. It says, Hell from beneath is moved to meet you at your coming. This is referring to Satan and what Christ had accomplished on Calvary and where he's headed to. That's why he hates the preaching of the word. That's why he hates it when you and I come and see. That's why he hates it when we put him first. That's why he loves, for you and I, to take the material things, the good thing that God, these things that God meant in his love to bless us, to take them and be the very things that cause us to go away from him and lose the complete enjoyment of those things by not putting him first. He hates it. He hates Christ in us. Let's see? But hell beneath is moved to, to greet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you. Those that are still dead, separated, but in hell. All the chief ones of the earth that is raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations, all they will speak and say unto you, when you come into hell, are you also become weak as we? Are you become like us? Nothing compared to him, compared to your Creator, Jesus Christ. God, your pomp is brought down to the grave and the noise of your vials. The worm is spread unto you and the worms cover you. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how are you cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For you said in your heart, I will, here's the will, Here's the will, and this is what makes it so extremely important for us to submit our wills to him in a constant nearness to him. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud I will be like the Most High. (laughs) I'll be just like him. I don't need him. Don't need his word. I'll question. I'll argue. Yet you will be, Satan, you will be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see you will narrowly look upon you and consider you, saying, Is this the man, this very creature, that made the earth to tremble? that did shake kingdoms? What causes you and I to tremble? What causes mankind to shake? That made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof. Listen to what this says. That opened not the house of his prisoners. Notice that? That opened the house, not the house of his prisoners. No, He didn't allow that, did he? But then Jesus came. Then he came. Then Christ came and we see it again in Isaiah the 61st chapter. I want you to think about Isaiah 14, 17 and then here again in Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Jesus Christ. Because the Lord God has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek Those that don't argue with God, they they know that everything about him towards them has been good and nothing but good for them. To the meek, he has set me to bind up the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted? To To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God. Listen, to comfort. All that mourn, you get in God's presence, when your will is broken and submitted to Him in meekness, He'll comfort you. You're no longer arguing, fighting with Him based upon sight, circumstances, situations, doesn't matter. You'll experience comfort. He will comfort all that mourn. To them that mourn in Zion, to give them what? Beauty for ashes, the enemy tells you, no, it's over. It's ashes. It's over. No, but he gives beauty. He's given us, in Isaiah 61, verse 10, right in there, says, robes of righteousness. That righteousness that's ours in Christ, in First Corinthians 1, and in verse 30. He's, he's our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, and he that glories, no glory in self, There's no glory in questioning God and doubting him and walking in fear. No. No. He that glories, let him glory in God. Why should you do that? Why should we? Because he's given us everything. He's given us himself. He didn't hold back. God did not hold back the best that he could ever give you and I. And no wonder it says in Jeremiah chapter 9. In in verse 23, it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his own wisdom, his own sight, how he sees things. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might, because you might have it and you might not have it the next day. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, because you just might not have them anymore, but you'll always have him. But let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord which exercise tender, compassionate, loving kindness, justice and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things says the Lord, I, I delight, says the Lord. Verse 25, behold the days come, says the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcision. God, I talked with Mike yesterday, and God it, it would would say that he would deal with the nation of Israel. This is what that's talking about. Did you know that it's, we're headed for it? There is no judgment for us. But when we don't live in self-judgment of the flesh, 1 Peter 4, verse 17, judgment, now in this dispensation of grace, judgment begins in the house of God. We're the house of God. And if it begins here, to, to set us right, not to accuse or to condemn, but to get us right in areas, to prepare for his coming and to face him without any shame. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, because we hold fast the form of these words, who, who Christ truly is in us, in 2 Timothy 1:13, in us and him with a proper image. It's going to begin, <clears throat> but again, we can look at it, that, that he, he himself, That Christ Himself might be glorified in us. That he might be glorified. And and as I read those verses, this God brought me back to what he's done in my own personal life. All the way back, as far as almost as far as I could remember, everything that I went through. Up to the time when he gave me this. In 1976. 1976 in Southboro. He gave me this promise. When I don't think, maybe at that time, I, I, I don't know if I could rub two or three scriptures together, but he gave me a, he gave me a promise. And he's been so faithful uh, in my own life. Uh, and, and what a beautiful thing that is. But as we begin to wrap this up this morning, just know that this, that the Spirit of the Lord God is more than just upon us, Based upon the promise in John 14, verse 17, he's in us. He's in us. And we need to be so careful to let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. You know, and, you know because before it's communicated, it's a thought life. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out. Is doubt corrupt? Yeah. Is worry Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's making more of self than Christ glorified in us. (laughs) And he's in us to never leave us nor forsake us. In Hebrews 13, 5, will he ever leave you or forsake you? Will he? Has he? One time has he ever done that? Has he ever failed you or me in, in Joshua 1, 5? Absolutely not. But be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might be strong in him with a broken will a submitted will to him a will that seeks him first thing in the morning first thing before you go to bed you deal with everything so your sleep can be sweet and the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is you go to him instantly what better place could we go to well what a beautiful thing it says, that he has given all of us, all of us, not all of us may have the gift of a pastor teacher in Ephesians 4, 11. but one thing is for sure, we all can be his ambassador. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, he can beseech others through us to be reconciled to him. But if my thought life presently is not reconciled to him, where am I living? What is my experience? What would it be? It would be doubt. It would be fear. It would be some form. And doubt and fear, I want to make, God wants to make it clear to us, doubt, fear, and worry literally has its roots in pride. Not another thing. We either function in pride of the flesh, in Romans 8, verse 9, or we function in Christ. There's no in-between, there's no gray area. There just isn't. And that's why James 4, verse 17, to him that knows to do good, and is it always good to trust God and not ourselves and what we see? Yes, Proverbs 3, 5. James 4, 17, to him that knows to do good. No. I look at this circumstance situation, I look at it, I can't trust him. Well, is he worth our trust? He's worth it. And so, But he can anoint us instantly. He he can anoint us and he will. And not only will he take care of me, and you know how it says to comfort all that mourn? You know, he comforts us. How many times has, has each of us been comforted by him? How many times when we truly sought him, when we were no longer rebelling, when we were no longer resisting him in anger and fear and doubt and worry, when we came to him, did he not comfort us? And will he not do the same? Will he not do the same? Well, we can see this again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Then there's so much more here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Grace be to you. Don't resist him. Don't resist his gracious words. Don't resist his gracious presence. Grace to you, because you have Christ in you. Your life isn't about this earth. No, it's not. It's about Christ and heaven. We're a heavenly people. Grace to you. And if when you think in terms of grace and don't resist him and allow him to comfort you, look what it does. You have peace from God. You allow Christ in Ephesians 2, verse 14, who is your peace, to be sovereign, to reign over everything in your life, no matter what it is. Peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, is he? Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. How many mercies have we all received? How many times has God not given us what we deserve to get? Or even to continue to reap all those negative effects The Father of mercies and the God of what? All comfort. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. You in in a trial? Are you in tribulation? You know, when we said it, it's almost like, talk with, with Mike again about this in the morning. It's like when we're poor, when we're poor, Spiritually, listen, when, it's almost like when we're poor spiritually and even financially, we give more. Then when we have more, we give less. It's so it's so interesting how that works, isn't it? The more it's so interesting. And then he has to humble us. And we know and we find out, you know, it is more blessed to give. Give ourselves to God. Not just talking about money. Who cares? I don't care about that. It could care less. Didn't care about it as a kid. Because I saw what it did. At a very early age. It didn't matter. But it's more, it's far more blessed to give than it is to receive. Far more. You can do more by giving to God than you can keeping things and receiving them to yourself. There is no question about it. It's very, very... Interesting this morning. He comforts us in all our tribulation. Listen, he comforts us not to make us comfortable and settle down into the earth and settle down in occupation. No, he does not. I can see it. God begins to bless those and they, they, they begin to take the blessing and they get a little further away. They start to lose any of us reverence for Christ in his presence. They become occupied with the things that he's given and not him. So much better to give ourselves to him constantly. It's our only security, our means of safety, our means of peace. There's no question about it. He comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may have that supernatural ability that comes from that comfort that we read about because the enemy has come and he keeps people in prison. Do you, you want to know something? That Don't think that the enemy won't try to use what God meant to bless you materially with to keep you in prison. Don't think so. Because he will. He, try, he will do everything to make that your occupation. And to think that we can enjoy anything that God gives us away from his presence, away from a submitted will. What do we like? What do we do with it? Well, that we maybe have that supernatural ability to comfort them that are in any trouble. Oh God, humility. It's not thinking too highly of ourselves with, and making those material things. And we're starting to think highly of ourselves. And we're not thinking too lowly of ourselves. We're either doing one or the other outside of his presence. But in his presence, we're not thinking of ourselves at all. It's about others. It's far more blessed to give than to receive. Far more. It's not even close. Picture the one clutching all their gold and silver on their deathbed. He ain't taking it believe me. believe me. and they can comfort any that are any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, you want comfort but you don't want suffering. Well guess what? That's where it comes from. That's God's way of doing it. So our consolation always abounds by Christ. For whether we be afflicted, you know, that God has people in your life, and He has them, and they, and He has them in a place to be afflicted. You know why? Because it's for you, it's for your consolation and your deliverance, your salvation. That's why they're afflicted. Let us not forget each other. Let us not get too so busy that we think we've done enough, and we don't need to do anymore. Since when do we need to cease? being a servant of Jesus Christ for others. Because if we're a servant of Christ, it's gonna be for others. There is no question about it. Let us not lose reverence for him. Don't don't allow what he blesses you with materially, that to use, to take you away from reverencing him. Please, it's not worth it. The exchange rate is ridiculous. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings. God prepares a vessel. He prepares them like he prepared his son for 30 silent years. And then in three and a half years, he also prepares those that he's given gifts to as guides in Hebrews 13.7 and 13.17. And they need to be afflicted so that they can be comforters. and and vessels of your consolation and your deliverance. There's no question about it. That's the way that it works. And it is an absolute privilege to be able to suffer righteously for his sake. In Colossians 1, verse 24, to fill up those sufferings that would have still been his had he been here. But now you're a vessel and you're filled with him. And he's filled up in you in Colossians 2, 9, and 10. And you're absolutely complete in him. And when you're complete in him experientially, you don't don't need any other thing. You you don't even think about what he's going to do for you. You're thinking of him. He outdoes everything even he gives. It's not even close. Which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Why do you suffer? You're doing it for Christ's sake, righteously. And you're doing it so that you can be a vessel for others. So that we don't end up serving our own lust patterns and taking those material blessings and using them for our own lust patterns and doing away with reverence for him. For any of us. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation. In salvation, For our hope of you, our trusting in him, is steadfast, knowing that as you're partakers of the sufferings, so you will also be of the consolation. Oh, boy. Oh, how the enemy likes to keep, and you, you read it. He's, he's kept millions of Christians. Of course, the unsaved, they're deceived in Revelations 12.9. But how many Christians he keeps in the prison of accusation, guilt, in condemnation. He doesn't want them to come out. He wants to keep them that way. And that's why God rose up Jesus Christ himself to function, to function in gifts. And that's why when we read these particular scriptures here, and we're going to turn and I'll finish it up here very quickly in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 1, and I love this, I love being his prisoner. No longer of my lusts, no longer of an evil, no longer of a prison in the lie of guilt and shame and condemnation for all my sins that have already been dealt with. And when I get away from him, and when we get away from him in reverence for him, the enemy comes in like a flood, and in comes the guilt, the condemnation, And all these other things, these imaginations, thank God we have the ability through submitting to him to cast them down in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. But I love the fact that I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, his love has captured me. His love is now my authority. It's not the voice of the liar who kept me in a prison as a little kid and a young person who finally I, I finally received him as my savior and then he began to work in, in, in me marvelously as he does in all of us in a most beautiful way. And I, the prisoner of the Lord now, know what it's like to be captured by his love, to be set free, I am beseeching you that you walk worthy of that vocation where when you're called with all lowliness, stop making something of yourself, your circumstances, your situation, and start making you to be the center of your world and not Christ. Not having an object, Christ, you become very subjective. And subjectivity keeps out Christ. It keeps out reverence for him. With long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, putting up with one another in love, the only way to do it, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace for this one body, one spirit even as you were called in one hope that hope is Christ it's guaranteed in Colossians 1.27 which is the result of your calling one Lord one faith one baptism one God and Father of all who is above all notice that he's above all Your circumstances, your situations, you, whatever you're going through, he's above all ruling and reigning and sovereign above it in the authoritative manifestation of his love. And through all, through all, and in you all, but unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And here's the gift. Wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. This is fulfilling Psalm 68, verse 18. He led captivity captive. He gave gifts unto men, and even to them that are rebellious. Even to them, but he doesn't include it here. Because he doesn't treat us after our rebellion, he treats us in love with chastisement. And even, and that's why we teach, we know when it says he comforts all that mourn. You know why it says that? Because chastisement is his love trying to get us to comfort us of what we mourn over. The shame, the guilt, the condemnation in a bad experience. He comforts us. He has to chasten us and get us back to him. Get our thoughts back on him. And we can see it clearly here. He he. he Ascended up on high. He led captivity captive. He led a multitude of captives into the captivity of his love, who were held in prisons by Satan in Isaiah 14, verse 17. And then he got a hold of others and he gave them, they were born with, and he gave gifts unto men the gifts of the men themselves that he's given to the church. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that ascended is the same, Also, he that descended, came into the earth, is also he that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fulfill, and he does. He is the fulfillment of all things. And he gave some apostles, no more. And some prophets, no more. And some evangelists, yes. And some pastors and teachers, the pastors and teachers, why? For the maturing, the fitting out of those saints that are set apart from themselves to Him. For the work of the ministry, did you hear that? For the work of the ministry. Not for the work of self. I mean, everything that God gave you, He's gonna sustain you, but He gave it to you for the local assembly. That's what it says. There it is. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. It's not just about you individually. No. It's not about you. Get your mind off yourself. Get it on Christ. And experience the liberty of being captured by his love that will never leave you nor forsake you. Why? Why? It's for the maturing of the saints, for the body of Christ, until we all come in the unity of the faith, all the teachings about who Christ is and what he's accomplished, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature man, finally mature, oh my God. First Corinthians 13 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, everything was about me. I thought as a child, that's why I spoke that way. That's because I understood everything about me as a child. But, separated from all of that, when I became a mature man or a woman, I put away childish things. God help us, Lord. I put away these childish things unto a mature man, a mature woman of God, unto the measure of the stature of the very fullness of Christ in the vessel. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7. So that, henceforth, we should no more be what? Little children murmuring, complaining, and arguing, and doubting, and fearing, tossed to and fro with all these thoughts based upon how we see things, our circumstances, our situations, and carried about, notice what it says, with every wind of doctrine. Who's the prince and power of the air? In Ephesians 2.2, it's the enemy. You know, in 1 Timothy 4, 1, in the latter times, and we're in them, folks, some will depart from the faith. Some from the faith. All those teachings about who they are in Christ. Why? Because they give heed to seducing spirits. They get seduced away. Don't think the enemy won't use, try to use the blessings that God has given us to seduce us and get away from Christ. Because he will. Because they give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines that demon teaches. What do they teach? You can't trust God. You can't do that. you got to do something. You can't do it. You can't do this. No wonder Jesus said in Luke 19, 13, as he was on his way to go into heaven, as he was on his way, be occupied with me. Occupy yourselves with me. Be occupied with me. Your life is not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about Christ in us that we henceforth from now on stop being children, tossed to and fro, doubting and fearing, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. You don't want to be one of Satan's counselors, do you? I know I don't want to be. And cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to what? Deceive, Treat, to get Christians just like worldly people, deceive them, you can't trust God, he doesn't exist. But speaking, but separated from that, speaking the truth in love that's captured you, made you more than a conqueror, Romans eight thirty seven, and made continually to grow up into him in all things. What does that mean? Your circumstances and situations in time is preparing you for eternity. That's what it's doing. The things you don't like were planned by God for your good. Because it's your good, because it's God's good about you, it can't be anything other than that. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. It's time to grow up into Him in all things. Ephesians five twenty: Be thankful for all things. How many? All things. Be thankful for what? All things. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all things. Why? Because you're occupied with him. Because I'm occupied with him. Which, and grow up in him in all things, which which is the head? Which head do you want to think in? The sick one? Isaiah 1.5 and 6? Jeremiah 17 verse 9? The sick head? You want to think that way? God Almighty. God, we get so occupied which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, notice that? It's no more just about you, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. No, I'm not going to be a joint that supplies. I'm so overwhelmed with my life. I'm, it's so much about me. I don't care about anybody. That's any of us in the flesh, by the way. You know how we take care of ourselves, don't we? Oh, God help us. God help me and he will through humbling me and you. By that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working, it has an amazing effect, working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Because I'm gonna say this to you and as a witness in the Lord, that you henceforth from now on stop walking like an unsaved person in the vanity of their own head, their own mind, their own thoughts, because they have the understanding darkened. If the eye be single, Christ, in in Matthew 6, verse 22, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. And if the light that be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness. Oh, how he likes to darken us. Oh, how he likes to get us away from Christ and reverencing him. You know, when you reverence Christ, I, promise, I know this in my own life and I'm learning it still. When I reverence him, it's, I'm, I'm lost in his presence and it's others. It is. It just is. And it's you know why? Because it's called freedom from self, freedom from selfishness, freedom from self-occupation and self-preservation, and, and and having intimacy with him and reverencing him and not following him like Peter, like some of us will do in a millisecond. In Matthew 26, 58. Well, first you have to forsake him in Matthew 26, 56 through your own selfish thinking and my own selfish thinking. And then in Matthew 26, 58, I begin to follow him on a hill far off. And the hill's called self-preservation. I'll take everything he's blessed me with and, and hoard it and keep it for me. God forbid. God forbid that. He has such a love for us. His love has captured us. He's captured us, and then finally, he's captured us. Remember what we read in Isaiah 14, 17? Satan wants to keep us prisoners, but once he sets us free, once Christ sets us free, we become his prisoner in Ephesians 3, 1 and 4, 1, and then he can use us to set others free, see, he did it for me. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. And he held me, I was held captive by Satan's will in 2 Timothy 2, verse 26. But then God raised up preachers and teachers who would teach us with skill the things of Christ so that he would give us the word and that we would no longer think that we would oppose even those that would teach us and think that we would even oppose God, but we would stop opposing ourselves because our wills would be captured by Satan. And oh, that's what those verses mean. In Isaiah 61, one one through three, And so that he builds up those waste places and that's what he's in the business of doing in our experience this morning with his so great love for us. He's given us everything by which we can reverence him and stand in awe of him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.